we get into this week's episode of the podcast, you can follow us on our own social media accounts. All the links and details will be in the description. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Football Club Pod. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm joined with Dim and Jane today. We're going to be going through the questions that you guys have presented to us. We're going to get the opinions of the guys and see what answers we can give you. We'd just like to say thank you for everyone to send in a question, whether it's on Twitter, on Instagram, or just direct messaging it to us personally. But without further ado, let's introduce the guys. How are you, Jane? How are you, Dim? Yeah, not bad, but we should really be asking you, how are you feeling after getting spanked by Aston Villa, mate? I mean, obviously it wasn't a Liverpool-style kind of beating, but, you know, tell us. Tell us how you're feeling. Outclassed in every department. How did it feel? I did not see it coming. The thing is, no, no, no one's seen it coming. Not a feeling of battering. It was a battering. The problem was it was, I don't even know where to start. I didn't watch the game, so I can't pick out particular details. The problem is, you know, we give United slack for taking one step forward and two step back. But we're kind of in the same situation. I think it's been, if we don't, if we don't score first, it just feels like we're gonna we're gonna lose anyway, because our even our defense has been pretty decent. We don't create enough to actually pose a threat up front. There's a lot of teams that know that they can kind of park the bus, you know, two banks are full, and just kind of hold it down, get their chance, take it, and then it's just it's just the same cycle again. You you can't take anything away from Villa. Villa played amazingly. Grealish, Barkley, McGinn, Watkins. Uh, they pose so many threats, so many problems. So, but we've we've had the same situation, same uh, problem all season. Can't score enough goals, can't create enough chances, and a rare win for Man United as well. How are you, Jane? I said I said it before. When it's under pressure, you know, with the team, they just pull it out of the bag, turn into like prime Barcelona back in like 2010 or something. Nothing new there. It doesn't really mean much. The key game is now is the one after the international break, see what kind of United turns up. But to be honest, obviously coming back to the Arsenal point, it's funny because we United fans, we slate our own team. You know, we're quite abrupt and we say how it is. If we've not, if not been playing well, we've not been playing well. A lot of fans are calling for him out, Oli to come out. And I think from an Arsenal perspective, you guys were like sky high. Your head was, your heads were like sky high. You know, like you thinking that these boys have just come and knocked you straight back down, and not once have you gone and contemplated Arteta now. You know, and there's all talk about Ole. Where's Arteta now? The thing is, with Arteta, he's not even been in the role for a year, and he's still trying to find his feet. The problem is, obviously, it's been, it's been a, The thing is, with Arsenal, we've always been good in attacking positions attacking threat we know we can score goals it's never been a problem with Arsenal scoring goals it's always been at the back and I think the roles are reversed this season we're not scoring enough but we're good at the back and I think that people are having a problem with that but I don't understand it he's 
I think the first thing he's trying to do is address the defence. And that's what we need to do for 10 years. He's, only had, he's not even had a year to fix it and people are getting on his back. I just don't understand it. Give him time. The difference between Oli and, and uh, Arteta is we're slating Oli after what? 18 months, two years in the job. We, we, can't, slate, we can't slate Arteta when he's not, even had, he's not even had a full season in the job. So I can't, I can't give him any slack. But I, the one thing I would say is that the change he's made and the teams he's picking are very questionable. There's people that come into the squad into the starting eleven that performed very well, but then he won't. They won't get a look in, um, you know, the next week or the next game. And that's one thing I don't understand. He's very he's very structured in his way, which I guess is a good thing. But he still needs to kind of change it from time to time. I guess that's the same situation. What's happening with William Saliba at the back? You guys have brought him in, but he's not really starting. I guess same with Pepe, to be honest. But we all we've all seen with Pepe. He's not he's not good enough consistently he has some aspects where he's really good scores a couple of goals here and there and then just fizzles out so yeah I'm, I'm it's confusing with you guys to be fair because you guys used to play such good football and win a lot of trophies but you guys are kind of just dwindled a little bit the thing is, I can't, based on the performances during lockdown, you know, at the end of last season, when we beat the likes of City, Liverpool, uh, in the Community Shield and the league, um, we've had some really, really good performances. We won the FA Cup. Like, we, no one was arguing then. And now all of a sudden, because we had a few couple of bad performances, you know, it's called kind of like tits up. I just don't, like, people need to relax and just like, take it easy for a bit. It's not been what has it been, six or seven weeks now? Uh, sorry, games into the season. It's not like we're in a terrible position. And we've played a lot of big teams. we played City, we played United, we played Liverpool. Now, come on, take those games out. Everyone's talking about Spurs being on form, but they've played the likes of Burnley and Brighton and teams like that. They've not I mean, played with, anyone in the top six. With Spurs, we'll see in the next couple of weeks after the international break, really. I think they've got a massive... They've got tough fixtures coming up. Yeah, exactly. So... We'll see with them, but I guess with you guys, the question is: you beat, you know, some of the smaller teams. Some teams you do struggle against, and it is really poor to see. Um, sometimes you show up against, show up against the the, the better teams, but other times mm. you just get trampled all over. So, I guess the main thing for you guys is kind of in, like the inconsistencies that you need to work on. You need to get the results, kind of grind them out. And, you know, sometimes it's not always going to be pretty. But I guess, yeah, with you guys focused in the past, like, 10 years on, like, playing pretty football, but it's not really winning things that, that, that are important in people's opinions, you know. Like, the FA Cup, winning the FA Cup is really good and, you know, whatnot. But I don't really see that in the same light as the Champions League, uh, the league, and even the Europa League, to be fair. So, you know, I, I think what the fans want is a consistently strong push in those competitions rather than the kind of cup competitions, like the domestic cup competitions anyway. And we just haven't seen that from Arsenal at all. You know, they went into Europe. They don't really challenge. It's notorious, for, you know, when you go into the Champions League, you don't really challenge at all. Last 16, you probably get to, and then that's about it. 
same with the league. You know, you're not going to be challenging near the top. But I, 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 I guess what you were saying in terms of like, in the past, you guys have not struggled scoring goals, but this year is, you are struggling to score goals. I just think you guys need to strengthen in both sets. And I think at the, at the back, you definitely have, but you really do need to cut out results that, you know, such as the Villa, Villa result. You can't be affording to lose points like that. I know Villa are doing really well this year, but still, it's a, it's a winnable fixture for you guys. Let's get on with the with the episode. Again, thank you for all your questions. Yeah, so questions come in from Buja. If you weren't supporting your team, who would you support and why? I mean, I'd, I'd off the bat, would go West Ham simply because they're my local team. Um, have grown up watching them. And although they're not the best team in the world, um, would definitely probably support them. They're quite local to me, um, quite close in proximity as well. So, yeah. Jayan, what about you? I'd probably go the same in the sense of my local team. I'd probably go Leicester City. Um, the style of football that they've kind of brand that they've kind of established themselves as free-flowing, attacking, the players they kind of bring up, young, you know, that kind of flamboyant likes of Madison, Tielemans and Didi. And you can see Leicester, that's Leicester's image now going forward. Got Don't spend too heavy, spend decent amounts on youth, kind of build them up and then grow. For me, I think that's, it's a team I love watching to play. You know, again, this season they've started off great. And it's just they just go strength to strength. Yeah, I got a back to him on this one. Local team, Leicester City. I've done amazingly over the last what since they won the league. And everyone was thinking where would they go from here? But I think the way they've kind of brought in a new manager, brought in Brendan, kind of rebuilt that team, sold a few players at Shilwell and Maguire for big, big bucks and really invested that that money in well, like some Telemans. And then you've got obviously Fofana this week, this season as well. I can't really say much much else. They're playing amazing football, like Jane said as well. Uh, Leicester City all day long. I was actually going to add on to that question: was if you could support support any any team outside of England, who would it be? I think for me, um, it'd be kind of a similar club uh, to Liverpool. Um, Jayan's laughing right now, I think, but it's gonna have to be uh, Borussia Dortmund. Um, you know, they know they they know that I'll never walk alone. So, yeah, play brilliant football. We've got a couple of really really good talents coming through that they've bought from overseas. You know, we've got Bellingham and uh, Sancho from from England. We've got Erling Haaland. Um, We've got Gio Reyna as well, play really, really good football. And they're not the kind of glory-hunting team that, um, you know, Bayern are. But, you know, they still challenge every year. And they have an outside chance of, you know, winning these uh, these trophies, especially the Bundesliga. But, yeah, um, it would definitely be Borussia Dortmund. What about you, Jayan? I'd probably go with Real Madrid, um, just the history of the club. Followed it from a long time. You know the players that they've always signed. You know, exciting, 
little ways that kind of wild factor scene when it comes to Europe. I still remember that that game where United played them in the semi-finals. Ronaldo scored a hat trick. Got a standing ovation at Old Trafford. And players that they had back then, the Galacticos, amazing. You know, Luis Figo, Zidane, Ronaldo, Carlos. Just still remember, and Real Madrid is one of those. But they'll always keep bringing out those kind of superstar players. For me, that that's kind of my team. I think Jane's reading my mind. You know, like honestly, the thing is, obviously, with Madrid history, like Jane said, history, everything about it, big club, best players, everything, but. My first choice is Real Madrid, but obviously with Jane saying it, I'm going to go for someone different. I'm going to try and... I'm going to go for... I'll probably say someone... I'll probably say Bayern Munich. Obviously, similar to Madrid, obviously, big big club, history, everything. But I think just the way they're actually playing right now, the, the, the superstars they got in their team, and they've added to their team this season as well. They've lost Kimmich. Oh, sorry, not Kimmich. They've lost Thiago, of course. But they're still bought in Sane. You know, Davies got another season at the club. Kimmich is playing DM now with Pavard at right back. It's looking a lot promising. I still, with Alaba going to centre back, he definitely brings a lot more to their team. Um, but I'm, I think with Boateng still at centre back is a bit of a worry. And I hope they've they've got Sule in the ranks, but I hope they bring in another top class centre back to partner to partner Alaba uh, in the coming years. Obviously, you got Lewandowski up top. Banging is probably well with the Ballon d'Or. I don't know if it's still going on, but if it is, he's probably going to get it this season. You've got Gnabry, you've got Sane, you've got Muller. He just looks. I don't know how he goes. He looks younger, but he's still playing amazing. But now nah, I'd probably say for Bayern Munich, they're probably the most exciting team for me right now. They score goals for fun. We've got another question from Mehir Trevedi twenty five. He says, if you have to solve Arsenal's problems as best as possible by making only one change, what would it be and why? I think you've got to change the formation. Just play a fullback. I've seen this uh, tweet online. I follow quite a lot of these um, statmans on Twitter. I've seen this one image where the um, Ollie Watkins goal where Barkley crossed it in and Watkins got the header, or I think he tapped it in. There's a line of eight. A line of eight Arsenal players. A line of eight, bro. I've seen that. I've seen that. Have you seen that? A line of eight. But there's uh, Lacazette, and behind Lacazette is Aubameyang. Aubameyang is literally like a CM. And, And you're thinking, how the hell? This line is solid. You know, it's straight. No one's offside. This is something that you've trained. You know, this has gone into the training ground. This has, how do you create a line of eight? It's just crazy. And, you know, the one ball is just kind of cross and that's it. It's kind of shredded that whole line. But if you kind of bring that four out, get rid of one centre back, bring that one into midfield now, you've got that more of a attacking threat. I think against United, yeah, fair enough, you kind of won the midfield battle, but Against um, Villa, you evidently lost. You know, the midfield battle was just all there and gone. I think you'll probably see that a bit more often with the other teams like Southampton, maybe West Ham, 
West Ham, to be honest, when you guys played them was 2-2. I think they, was it 2-2 or did you beat them 2-1? Beat them 2-1. 2-1, yeah, yeah, that was it, 2-1. But I think West Ham should have got something out of that, at least a draw. Yeah, they, they were solid that game, but I think that's where you need to add someone in. And you, and you see that, that gap between your attackers and your the rest of your team is huge. You know that, that you need that guy in the middle. Whether you, at the moment you don't have that player, it's evident. So you're, if, if, if you're if you're saying change it to four, well, I'm guess, I'm assuming you're saying you're four three three. Yeah, it'd have to be four three three. So who who would you like? For example, let's base this on the midfield. I think it's kind of an up front and defense is probably you kind of know who you're going to go with personnel wise. Who would you go in the midfield then? You've bought Thomas Party to come and sit, you know, and sit anchor the defense. He can do that job, you know, if he wants to. If your team is attacking, he can sit in and he can play into um, into centre back or he can play into the full backs, however is needed at the time. But then you've got few players like Saka. I think Saka is absolute waste where he's played at the moment. He looks like the only threat, you know. I, I, when he has the ball, it literally just like looks like a moment of magic from Saka, and that that will create something. And you're playing him kind of like left wing back, and he's so. So restricted, you know, he needs to be kind of either pushed up. I think at the moment you play him as that advanced midfielder because he can drift technically, he's amazing as well. And then I think Sabeos, you know, there was a period where end of last season, start a few games, he was playing amazing, and then he's kind of just dipped off. I don't know what's happened, but if you can kind of get the best out of him because technically he's amazing, so he opens, he offers like a different type of player there. So you've got three different midfielders there. The issue is Xhaka, Elneny are very similar. You know, they do like a job, they sit deep. The game is just to tackle and then probably play the sideways passes. You've got a party to do that. So I would try to go for someone a bit different. Yeah, so apart from what you uh, have just mentioned, because I agree with it one 100%, but for me, you mentioned that you that Royal Arsenal had uh, an issue up front now um, and I agree there I feel that Aubameyang is being wasted on the left if you guys don't have a recognised striker I know you guys have got um, Enketia and Lacazette but they're not really guys that are going to get you 20 goals a season let's be, let's be honest so if you are going to carry on playing Aubameyang in that wide left position I would go out and get a striker. You know, I'd, I'd get a striker that's going to get you 20 goals a season, 30 goals a season, and, you know, really take you from that Europa League spot into cementing a Champions League spot every year and possibly challenging for a title. But the question has to be asked kind of thing. The question has to be asked that who is going to want to come to Arsenal while they're in this kind of transition sp- space between potentially dropping out of the top six and challenging for the top four. Um, there's not really many names that kind of spring to mind. But yeah, that that's the main thing that I would focus on because they've kind of sorted out the defence. It's just now they're getting the goals. You know, there's an over-reliance on Aubameyang to score the goals. I don't really, I, I don't know the stats, but he scores the majority of your goals. And I don't, I don't think that that's really something that you need to be relying on totally. You need to get someone that's kind of going to ease the burden on him a little bit. So, yeah. 
that is what I would change. No, that's a fair point, to be honest. The, the thing is, with me, I, I just know Arteta's not going to change the formation because he likes the use of David Luiz in the back three because he's going to bring it out, put, up a, put a few passes between lines and kind of move the ball, move the, kind of move the ball forward through transitions. If but I'm that's, not talking about formation... But that's, but that's where you get overrun with the three-man midfields if you're going to bring a, you know, a two in midfield, you know... Sabios or uh, Sabios or Xhaka and Partey, you know, you get overrun in midfield with with more athletic, more dynamic midfielders. I think if you went up against Liverpool's midfield with Fabinho, Henderson, and one Alden in there, let's take Thiago out of the situation. If you went into a midfield battle with those three, you'd come out second best every single time. You know, barring the loss that we had last year. So I I don't understand his stubbornness to not want to change the formation because you definitely lose out a lot going forward when you take out that front three, uh, that, that middle three. I, I think Arteta likes to have overloads out wide. That's the reason why he's picked out this back three or, you know, back five or whatever. Because you've got your wing backs, you've got the right winger and then you've got uh, one of the centre mids going into those positions to help out and overload it. The thing is, if I was going to change one thing, I'll just put Aubameyang up front. His best, his, he's, he's scored the most. I've seen all the stats about him scoring. Uh, he's taking more chances at left wing, but that's because he's always one-on-one and he's always getting one chance. If he's having more chances, if he's having four or five more chances, he's going to definitely score more goals up front. If, I think I like James' um, opinion about change of formation. But if he changes the formation to a 4-3-3, I guarantee you Arteta's going to play Aubameyang left wing, left, left wing. It's not like he's going to change and put Aubameyang up front. It's not going to change it. If you're having Lacazette up front, I don't know, Willian left at, uh, right and Aubameyang left, it's not changing anything to the team, regardless of who you put. I think Lacazette's done well. I can't lie. He's done better than what he's done before. But I still don't think he's doing enough and I agree with your Enketia point about him him being a bit of a more, you know, a bit of a greater threat in those attacking positions because he's got a bit more legs on him. He can, he can pressurise the defence a bit more. But I still think Aubameyang, when it comes to the nitty-gritty, one, one chance, one goal, Aubameyang's going to do it for you. But I think with Aubameyang, though, if you're going to move him up front, do you play Saka outlet or out on the wide left? Because... You're going to need someone that's consistently getting you that service to Aubameyang because with, with the way Arsenal play, a lot of the things do go through Aubameyang out on the right, out on the left, sorry. And he does create a lot. So if you move him into the centre, you're going to kind of lose out on that kind of service. So would you go out and buy another left winger or would you stick with Saka or someone else that you guys might have? I'd personally, I'd personally put uh, either one, well, left or right, I'll put Pepe and William. I think the reason being is because if I'm playing three in the midfield, I know that one of my wingers can take a bit more of a risk when they've got the ball. With Pepe, he's more of a dribbler towards, he's more of attacking, he's going to attack the opposition. He's going to go one-on-one with the defender. And the thing is, when, when you're playing three, when you've got three in the midfield, you can take more of a risk. So if he's going one-on-one in the midfield and he loses that ball, it's not, it's not that a big of a problem. Because he knows he's got three 
covering him. If he's playing, if he's playing left wing in a in a three back, and then you've got two middle, it's not it's it's not it's not it's not the same because if he loses the ball, and you're you're let's say Saka's a left wing back and he's out of position already because he's trying to overlap or whatever, that's it. You're you're outnumbered already in the midfield, counter attack, and they're probably going to score. So and the thing is with Willian, he can deliver a good ball. Don't get me wrong, Abamian's not really much of a header, a header over the ball. He can deliver a ball to him. He's got a work rate on on him and stuff like that. But he's not he's not he's not risky enough. He doesn't take the opportunity. He doesn't take the chance when he's got a one on one. He kind of shifts it on his right and then comes back and then just passes it back. It's too it's too one dimensional. But uh, yeah, I'll play Pepe and William. So you're saying you put Bamiang to strike and that's your one thing that you change, yeah? Yeah, if I'm only making one change, that's the only thing I need. I want to see. But I tell you now, that's not going to do anything. The, the problem is you guys are not creating enough. You know, even if you put like Lewandowski there, you know, if the, if the ball has to come there, the chances have to come. There's nothing there. Well, you had one chance I can think of in that Aston Villa game where Lacazette missed that header, which probably I think would have made it one-one. That was. So if Aubameyang, but if Aubameyang took that chance, do you think he would have scored? Yeah, it would have scored, but you would have still lost. If if you're looking at the the whole thing, the whole scheme of things, you know, you're losing two 0 You when even when you know you're losing two 0 there was no fight, and that's probably because yeah, you pushed more men forward. But even on that third counter attack, you out you still outnumbered them. You had about it was like four on two t- towards yourself. Grealish around like seventy yards, 80, 70 yards, or sixty yards or something. So I I don't think that would fix it. You know, I think that helps the thing but I think you need someone you need more dominance kind of in that final third it's like it's like what Dim was saying like the the trio of midfield that Liverpool have you know it, it would probably out, out if that game were to happen again you guys playing that same formation it would probably out muscle yours and, no, 100%. The, re- and, and the reason there is because they, they push the full backs forward they literally compress you so high up in that final third you guys you're, you've got a five then the guys in the middle, they're not really the guys that are going to be like charging forward, you know, pressing you or anything of the sorts. They're kind of happy to stand ground. It's just a massive hole in midfield. Exactly, like, exactly that. Yeah, hundred percent. And again, like reiterating the point that if you do move Aubameyang up front, there's going to be zero service into him, unless you, you know, Bukayo Saka creates quite a lot, but it's not going to, you know. You're playing him at wing back, so it doesn't really make sense to me. To be fair, I also think though right now, if he's got the players he wants, he's got. If he's got David Luiz, the thing I understand if you're playing a three back with David Luiz because he can't defend and he needs more people around him. That's why if David Luiz is not in the team, I agree with James change about making it to a four back. But the problem is with Arte- I know Arteta is too rigid and too, um, no, he just likes to stick to this three back because he thinks it's going to work. So that's the only reason why I can't say the formation because I know it's not going to happen. If I'm making a more of a realistic change, I think the only change he can make right now is the fact that if he goes about me in the front, I agree with you guys though. The service is not there. The service is not there. Everyone's been crying about crying out for an Ezel to come back in the team. I personally don't think Saka is going to. He's not going to create as much as Ozil if he puts in that. Even if even if he puts in that middle three, because I would play 
outplay Shaka and Partey, you're not going to bring that much forward. And then you've got one player ahead who probably is thinking, if you're going to put what, Sabayos or uh, Shaka, oh, sorry, not Shaka, um, Sako, they're not going to create as much because you've still got Willian and then what, you're going to put Aubameyang on the left and Lacazette up front. I don't know, the Ozil conundrum is a, uh, a bit of a weird one, to be fair, because he is a quality player and he would create, but it's like the two, the other two midfielders that are playing with him are going to have to carry him through that game and do all his running for him. So he may as well be playing with 10 men. And I don't think now, especially with the quality of the league being as good as it is, I don't think that you guys will last. You know, you can't have two people doing the running for another player in midfield just so he can have that freedom. It's not La Liga where Messi can walk around and do what he pleases and, you know, have the rest of the team do his running for him, if that makes sense. So it's a, it's a bit of a strange one. Maybe in, at the defence as well with, with the David Luiz situation, maybe it's time to bring William Saliba in centre-back now. Maybe it's time to. You know, we've seen in, in Ligue 1 where... He's shown that he's a decent, decent, decent defender. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit confused with uh, Arteta and why he's being so rigid in the way he plays and trying to stick to his guns when it's clearly not working for you guys in the grand scheme of things. To be honest, we could be here for a very, very long time talking about Arsenal. It's been up and down all season. We'll move on to another question coming from Mihir again. Bit of a different one. He's saying, with the game being increasingly data-driven, to what extent is there still need for clubs to hire scouts? Jan, I'll come to you for, for your thoughts on this one first. The element of scouts is always going to be there. I think you've seen the, the US with their forms of sports, you know, the uh, NBA, NFL, they've still got scouts there to, to still watch the type of player he is, you know, everything that's kind of going on. If I, if I, if I show you a player based on stats... He scored this many goals and, and you don't know who this player is and, and you've gone blinded now and you've gone and bought this player. I, probably There's probably an element that he probably won't fit into your team or it probably won't work out. Because there's probably a lot of players out there, they've scored poachers' goals. Like, you know, there's that Alexander Solov that we spoke about one pod, you know, in like Turkish league, went and like banged it. And he's ended up at Leipzig. If I showed you that kind of statistically... You know, he's the X, Y, and this many successful passes, touchdowns, header, X, Y, Z. I think you're still going to need scouts. It's, it's a 90-minute game. It's not like NFL or kind of NBA where we go through phases of quarters where we can kind of sub in and sub out a player. We've only got three subs. Each player needs a moment of magic within them. You know, some, some scouts, some players that we even look at and, and they do like something and you're like, wow, you know, that player has something in him. You know, whether he does that consistently or not is something different, but it's that wow factor that kind of defines him from being like an average player to a great. I agree with the premises that eventually the data side is going to grow and grow and grow and more, more so. You know, you've seen all these kind of massive data providers continuously working with clubs. You know, they've got analysts now where they look at all the data, how much players what players are doing, what, what they're looking for. But I still think that the of scouts will still remain for probably foreseeable future. Yeah, I agree with your, with your opinions on, you know, scouts still being very, very important. 
I'm still in the, I'm in the same in the same uh, opinion as that. I think they're still very opinion they're still very uh, essential to how clubs are run. I think they're probably more and you can see the transition through the years of how they've been done, you know, it'd be a lot it would be a situation where scouts would go often to 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 clubs and to matches to see how a player performs. Nowadays it's done through, you know, videos or you know clips. I think with COVID-19 happening now, I think it's really it's going to be a lot harder for them to go out and see games. So I think it's going to be a situation where the amount of data that clubs are using, the amount of clips that they need is going to be a lot more uh, required. I still, I'm a fan believer that scouts are still needed because the thing is, a player can be amazing, but I think it, because the obviously the prices of a lot of players are going up, you know, with the amount of money coming into the game, a lot of a lot of uh, clubs are trying to be a bit more smarter with their business. And I think the clubs are using how a, not only the how a player performs, but also how they are around their dressing room. If there's any stories about them, if there's anything that you know, lateness or you know anything they negative they're bringing to the to the squad because they don't want to bring that kind of uh, aura into into their changing room. So I think that's a bit that's very important as well. But to be honest, I think the, the amount of data in the game right now is just going to be used more. I don't, I don't think it's going to be, it's going to be taken away the amount, of, you know, the amount, the amount clubs need for for a scout. I think for me, I'm a big, big advocate of stats, but they don't tell the whole picture. You need scouts because it's easy to see how good someone is on paper with the amount of goals, assists, goal involvement, etc. But you don't really see how good they are in the system that the team is playing. And stats don't tell you that. You know, they can tell you how much distance they cover fine, you know, whether they'll be okay to play in a system which requires a lot of, requires a team to cover a lot of ground. But, you know, I'll give you the perfect example. You know, you guys might laugh, but Bobby Firmino, he is awful on the numbers recently. Genuinely, genuinely awful. But what he brings to the system is far more than what stats can tell you. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big, big, big advocate of stats, but also using them with scouts. Scouts are in, in, incredibly important. Jane, just, I think you're taking. And and just to expand on the Bobby Firmino kind of uh, mention, you know, he brings a lot to the table outside or, or outside of his, you know, goals and assists. He hasn't really been performing to his usual self. You know, his touch has been awful recently. You know, not really linking up well with uh, Mane and Salah. But be- before that, he was pressing. You don't really see that much in, in stats, really, uh, from my knowledge. You know, he, he, you don't see him... You, you don't see stats saying how he kind of beats a man, really, and how he beats the man. It's more so he's dribbled, completed dribbles, etc. Just Just to add on to that data and scouts, 
I don't know if you guys know, but Brighton, they buy a lot of their players based on stats. So their owner or someone who's quite affiliated to them is called uh, an individual called Tony Blue. So he owns like a consultancy betting company. His whole background was looking at data and kind of looking at arbitrage within the betting market to kind of capitalise on the key sports. I think that he used to kind of capitalise on was cricket, rugby and football. Um, the players that they have signed, like Morpé, Pascal Gross, um, Tariq Lamptey, these are all kind of stats based that these guys sign these players. I think that element, how they've gone about signing players, how they've been sustainable, kind of still going along. And I wouldn't be surprised, even Graham Porter, why they've brought him in. That would have been purely based on stats as well. But they're a good team to follow, you know, and how they kind of make their signings, how much they believe a player is worth purely on stats, how much they'll, that player will bring back. Um, but I think we are going to see like an element to it. But I think I would like a more of a kind of adaptive role where the scouts there, maybe with data analyst, maybe intertwined, you know, the stats are being used with this guy's feedback. What that would mean is that you wouldn't need as, as many scouts. Maybe you, you, you slim down on that. Maybe you get more data analysts involved. So this, this question is by Amir underscore BJ. With a salary cap being recently introduced into the EFL, do you think the Premier League would benefit under a similar scheme? I'll start off with you first, Dim. Um, it might make things fairer for the smaller clubs, but I don't think it's really a good thing. You know, you want to attract the best players into the Premier League. They're not going to come if they're being offered, you know, the same wage as, say, for example, Liverpool wanted to buy, I don't know, Mbappe. He's not going to be happy if we offer him the same wage as someone like Curtis Jones. I think you've got to kind of balance wanting to attract a certain marquee-type player into your league and kind of balancing the finances and fairness to the other teams around. Now, maybe you can kind of get around this by having like a designated player who can have an unlimited salary. So there'll be no cap for that one player, but everybody else is capped. Now, I don't think that's sustainable within a squad because that might make other people in the squad think, oh, that guy's earning more money than me. Why am I not earning that much? Let me leave and go somewhere else where I get that money. So I, I don't think it's healthy. I think... If you can afford it, then why not? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be working in the Premier League. I think if you're looking at the differences between the big six and then the rest of the clubs, is is too great for there to be any introduction of a salary cup. The amount income they get, you know, they're international brands at the end of the day, whereas these smaller clubs are not international brands; they're probably what national brands. So. The difference I'd never, I don't think it'd ever, ever be introduced into the squad. I, I can't, I don't, I don't think it will even be spoken about. So, no, no for me. Listen, I, I agree with the concept. I think there, there should be limits in which kind of what players should earn, as it will just kind of exponentially grow out, out of bounds. Um, but I think it has to be kind of something that maybe FIFA implement or UEFA implement onto the top tier leagues you know so if French Spain Germans the Italian and the Premier League 
I think the the two anomalies would probably be Real Madrid, Barcelona with the highest salaries, and then you've got the top six, top seven in the Premier League. I think majority will probably come from the Premier League in terms of salary wise. What you might end up seeing long term is that kind of bridge between the top teams and the smaller teams, kind of bridging wider and wider because the wages they can't, the smaller teams can't afford. And now football has become like a game of like billionaires. But you'd want, for a neutral's perspective, that gap to be bridged so the smaller teams, like that one-off season where Leicester did win the league, where maybe you get anomalies out of such more often, where teams are able to bridge the gap. I actually like that, you know. If it's coming from... The thing is, if you're... It, if you're only talking about the Premier League, it's not going to happen because the, Prem- the Premier League is all about money. Let's be, let's be honest at the end of the day. You're trying to get the best players uh, and that's only going to happen with, with their salary being crazy. If it's coming from FIFA, then it's, the different, if it's a different thing because they've, clubs have got no op- op- you know, obligation against it, against the rules. So I agree with your point, Jane, about if, if it's coming from the top, then it's, then it's a fair point. But it is it is a good idea actually because even some of the top clubs are starting to struggle with paying players' wages. You know, especially with coronavirus, you know, really affecting finances of a club. You know, you look at Barcelona. You if you look at Barcelona, they had to cut a massive amount of player wages, and I read it. I read it in the news. I I know it's probably. Uh, Daily Mail wasn't really a good source, but there was something along the lines that they had to cut a certain amount of wages or face some sort of administration proceedings against them. But if they slash the wages without the player's consent, that that is a British contract, in essence. So depending on how it works with the players, they could walk, walk for free because the clubs breached their contract. So... I think it is worth having some limit so it's sustainable for clubs. You know, you don't want to see the likes of Barcelona going under. Liverpool, I know it wasn't to do with any player wages, but Liverpool, for example, were about an hour away from going into administration before FSG came along. So I think certain elements, like financial uh, elements, have come into play with FIFA, especially implementing the financial fair play, it kind of protects the clubs in a way. So, yeah, I do think that implementing some sort of limit does go a long way. You know, you look at players such as Alexis Sanchez getting 500k a week, for example. How sustainable is that for a club? It's not. This is it. Like, if you put like something like reasonable, like let's say 300k, you know, you put 300k, I think. Top teams, if they want to, that's elite bracket. Now, if you're elite of the elite for that team, you 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 will earn that. You will earn that money. You know, I remember like Sir Alex Ferguson. You always used to have this infamous quote that was passed down from Matt Bushby, and he said, "Don't chase the money. The the money will always come to you." And I think that's a given. You know, sponsorships, everything that you get nowadays with those footballers. As soon as you join like a big club, you know, the Nike sponsorship, Adidas sponsorship, you get the cars, you get the watches, whatever it is that comes along. And after that, it's just an element of greed. Yeah, fair enough, you've got a career span of 10, 15 years, but there's more than sufficient money there, in my eyes, where you can earn. You know, and 
ultimately it's up to the player himself what they kind of do with it, how they invest, and and and, and forth on. But I think a 300k or maybe like 250, so that way, you know, the the players are not thinking, you know, what there's no point in me joining this league. But the teams like Leicester, Wolves that are trying to make it there sustainably to the break into that top six. You know that they can still compete as well, and they're not kind of priced out by the likes of Man United, Liverpool, etc. Or they don't need like a billionaire owner to come and back them. You know, splash cash. No, that's actually a really good point. The thing is, let's say let's say some of these players don't actually want to come to the Premier League because of this situation. It's not even a bad thing for the Premier League because it just means that the these clubs have to bring in these group youth players and give them more game time, which is only going to benefit us. And if they're English, it's going to benefit us even more. You know, they're going to be become better because of the game time they're going to play with for England. And so, if long term growth definitely is going to be a lot, uh, a lot better. So the next question is by Josh two one nine four. Thoughts on Pep's comments yesterday regarding the five sub rule? Anyone actually want it to be implemented in the Premier League? I think it'll be a good idea to implement it. We've seen it implemented everywhere else in Europe, in the Champions League. It doesn't make sense to have a three-sub rule and then go into Europe and have a five-sub rule. Just make it uniform. Whatever Europe's doing, just do the same. It only benefits our, our teams, prevents injuries as well. We look at Liverpool, where they've suffered 13 injuries, big injuries already this season. There's only been how many games played? Eight, nine? So... It, it doesn't make sense to be stretching the players that much. Five subs is not too bad either when you when you think of it in the grand scheme of things. It levels the playing field a little bit in terms of having no crowd. And in Europe, we, we wouldn't suffer as much. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of five subs. Yeah, I'm backing it as well. I, I don't understand why they haven't introduced it earlier. I understand it from, you know, it was... It was put into put to all the all the clubs and obviously majority ruled and they said no. I understand why they said no because obviously the bigger teams have got better squads, so they're going to make more changes, which obviously affects the game a lot more. But at the end of the day, you got to look at the players' health. At the, you know that's one of the most important things. It's one of the things we just take for granted because of the amount of money they're on. We don't really look at it that way. And the thing is, if we bring in this five sub rule. Players that are on the brink of, you know, brink of an injury, play the last, what, three games in a week, four games in t- 10 days. They can come off, have a bit of a rest, bring in on a new player who probably doesn't get as much of game time as someone else. But now they've got an opportunity. They've got more of an opportunity because they're allowed to have a, another rule. It's not really changed much because they, they've still got to use it within three, I think it's still, still three breaks. So it's not going to make an, a huge impact to the game overall, but I understand it from the smaller clubs. I still think, from the personal point of view, of, you know, how mental health, physical health, it's always got, it's got to be implemented as soon as possible. I think also with the congestion of fixtures that you just mentioned, you know, we've got three England games this week. Now, that's a lot of fixtures, extra fixtures that the players are going to be playing. There were three in the last international break, playing in Europe. Consider the fact they had a shortened preseason as well. It makes sense to have five subs. So it's just crazy. I think genuinely, it doesn't make sense. 
I'm not too sure on the, the five subs, I'll be honest with you. Like, I've got this stat we're looking at right now. Premier League, starting a lineup, average minutes played per match day since the, well, this season. Premier League's at 80.5. Um, in the Champions League, you've got 80.9, 82.9. Bundesliga's at 82.7. Serie A's at 82.4. La Liga, 82.1. Liga is at 81.9 and Europa League is at 80.6. There's not much difference there. I think the thing with the, the five sub rule, teams like Man City, Pet, I mean Man City, Liverpool, like let's say United, because they've got the depth on the bigger teams. They've got the depth in their squad where they can kind of change a game. You're losing one nil, you're losing two now. You bring on five, you bring on like three different players. You know, and that, that three players are just going to absolutely change the game there. I understand these guys are always going to be complaining in terms of the uh, fixture congestion, it's always tough, but, you know, it's, it's, it's been like that from day one. It's been like that from probably about 20 years. Everyone's been complaining about it, you know, from when I remember, like, a long time ago. You, you build a squad for it. You know, Christmas, however it is, you just got to crack on and get on with it. I think good things like um, breaks, such as the winter break that the Premier League's kind of finally implemented, that's good. You know, the players do need a break here and there. But five subs, I'm not, I'm not too sure on it. I, I don't think, I think you'll kind of ruin the game even further. Um, you would have seen more moments in, in this season where teams are losing 1-0, 2-0, like the big teams, and boom, three players are coming on instantly, you know, half-time or something of the sorts. And those three players are game changers. You've seen the bench of... Man City, Liverpool have got a great bench of depth there as well. Man United have got some good players on the bench. Um, you know, the squad depth is there, and I think for the lesser teams, they would suffer a lot. But do you think? Do you think because of the fact there's been pretty much no preseason, we've gone into games? What they've had lot two, three weeks off. Do you think it's more of an impact that they actually need to bring in, or even even if they if they reduced it, let's say it's not even five, it's four. Yeah, I think four, four makes sense. Four's okay. I think four is okay. I think five, like, you've jumped three to five. You, you've, you've, you've nearly doubled it, you know. Like, but like you said, like, why not four? Why, why does it have to be five? Yeah. Uh, I think four, four is understandable. Yeah, you've got the extra one player that you can bring on. Naturally, teams don't even sometimes even use three subs. So, I think four is probably understandable, but... These kind of decisions, I, I would have liked if it was universal throughout Europe, you know, especially the top five leagues. Like Premier League have done something else and the rest of the boys have done something else. So like, like the points that you made in Europe's big competitions, you know, we're at a massive disadvantage there as, as it is. So in that fact, I would have probably said, OK, yeah, go for the five because these guys have done it. And now, so that way, at least in big competitions Europa League or Champions League we've got some sort of benefit there where the players are getting rotated yeah see that's the thing as long as we need to see a bit more you know the stats like what you said was I think it was 80 minutes played in the Premier League and you know there were more minutes played on across Europe and in Champions League but I this think is that eight, one... 85 85.5 and then the rest of them are averaging 82 so there's only a, a three minute difference so that's per player, average per player for starting. 
so yeah, there's only a three minute difference. But do you, do you think because they, they're getting more rest, that's having an impact on it? I know it's only a two, three minutes, but two, three minutes is a long time in a football match. A player having two, three minutes of more impact on the pitch is going to have more implement on the game. And because they're probably more, um, they're more rested and their mind is a bit more at rest as all, well, they can make a bigger impact on the football pitch. We're only talking marginal, marginal things here. But those margins, those margins are the ones that will actually win your games or change your game. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. But now let's say I'm, I'm a Sheffield United or I'm a Leeds. You know, I've got, I'm winning 1-0 um, against like a, a top 10 team. And last 20 minutes of the game, opposition have got three subs left that they can actually potentially still use. Still got that one break, still there left. You know, as in me as a manager, I'm I'm there thinking, I've got to mentally prepare for this already. You know, like what can and that those three subs there is just going to be a massive game changer instantly. So I think for that reason, I I would probably go against. It. I think the three subs is is fine. And I think the season, how open it is, this now, just now, the way it's going, we've got teams like Southampton, West Ham, Leicester, you know, all, all in like the top six. Like it's crazy. Villa, you know, if, if they put like a five subs, I don't think it would be as such. I think it would be different. No, definitely. I think the low, lower clubs, less so, you know, so-called lower clubs, are definitely doing a lot better this season. Uh, then we'll move on. Jay, and I think this is a perfect question for you regarding Manchester United coming from BV official underscore. He says, it's a bit of a paragraph, so uh, just bear with me, boys. He goes, do you think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should be sacked now, by now, considering previous managers have done better in the same amount of time? Or is it better to keep him on and give him time to sort the players out? Bearing in mind, other managers, have, did, not get the, other managers did not get this opportunity. Maybe like his win rate is not as, as good as the others, but I think in terms of the football that United played compared to previous managers since Ferguson, it's probably the best style of football that I've seen. Um, that's that's because of a number of factors. Players that we brought in, there's a synergy there with the squad, um, technically the style of football. Sometimes I feel like it's a direction, sometimes it doesn't. But in terms of taking the team forward to the next stage, you know, I, I don't think he's the guy. I think... He's done a part, he's played a part. And I hear this constantly where people keep saying the the issue lies deeper than the coach. No, it doesn't. Since 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 we've since we've had Ferguson, we've had David Moyes, we've had Ryan Giggs for like a couple of months, we've had Louis Van Gaal, we've had Mourinho, and now now we're down to this guy. None of them match the club's ethos, how, how to play football, are they a great coach, man management, anything of the sorts. Not a single one. Mourinho, straight in for the trophies, wasn't the right man. Lou Van Gaal, done great. Done great for Holland at the time. So anything further, there was nothing, nothing there. Brand of football was shit. You know, playing three-back, five-back, very defensive football. David Moyes, well known by David Moyes. And I think the obvious choice here is just Poch. You've seen the impact a manager can have on players, the brand, 
And I think we need that. There's no identity to the club at the moment in terms of how we play. Sometimes I watch Man United and I'm thinking, how are you going to score a goal? You know, what's the style of play? At the moment, it just seems like Bruno Fernandes. Everything is just Bruno Fernandes. Whether he gets an assist, whether he gets a goal, he is the team. Guy just carrying the team. It's just simple as. So, I think... I I would like... He, he won his last game. Fair play, you know, as in... I said it before. He was going to... This was going to happen when it's under pressure. But let's say next three games he loses like two or whatever happens, I think he needs to go. You know, because it's going to turn really south for him very quick. And whilst a manager like that, Poch is still waiting around, you've, you've got to grab him before, you know, another big team decides, you, you know, I, I, I need to sack my manager and get someone else and then you're left with no one. Definitely, definitely. I think the way that he's, you know, brought, brought the dressing room together, I think he's done very, very well. I can't argue with the fact that what you're talking about, you know, he's not that type of calibre of manager to take you forward. But the job he's done in the amount of period of time he's had to do it, he's definitely brought back the identity of Manchester United. And you can't say, even looking back, if he gets sacked, you can't even say he's done a bad job because he, he got Manchester United back to where they needed to be, which was in the Champions League. The way you were going, kind of, you were drifting here and there and you weren't, you weren't actually picking up, you weren't consistently finishing um, up there in the Premier League. But I think he's done that. I think he's bringing, he's bit, he's bought, you know, he's brought a bit more, he's brought a smile back to the faces of Manchester United players, something they didn't really have again uh, with, um, with Mourinho. So I, to be honest, he's done a good job. I, I, I think it's probably time for him to go because of caliber managers are available, especially Pochettino. I think he's probably the main man. If he if he does get sacked, that I think Potch is probably going to be the man to take the job. But I would say it's probably time to go for Oli. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think as a fan of football that doesn't support Man United, we'd want Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to say, to be honest. So Oli in. But with all jokes aside, I think while you have a manager like Pochettino just waiting in the sidelines, I think he would transform Man United's dressing room. I don't think there's much belief in the manager to kind of... So, so in my opinion, I think United are in that kind of middle ground between really falling off and latching back onto the top six, really. So I think while the chance is there, I would definitely take it. I know we took one a chance with Klopp. I know we had Brendan Rodgers in charge and we just sacked him and went for Klopp. Now, look where that's taken us. And I do think players like Bruno Fernandes, Rashford, even Paul Pogba would really latch onto Mauricio Pochettino and what he would bring for that dressing room. And I think the results from the dressing room would definitely show on the pitch. And you don't really see that the players have that much faith in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, to be honest, which, which is unfortunate, but that's football. But even in games, he doesn't really seem like he's capable of making a change to make a difference in a game. We see it in odd spurts where you know United do show up, and that's mainly because you've got a player like Bruno Fernandes literally dragging United by the scruff of the neck over the line. So... 
they definitely need a manager that can kind of organize and make a change where necessary, but also have the faith of the dressing room. That That's pretty key. So, so for the next question, Shivam underscore mystery has asked, who is getting relegated from the Premier League this season? I'll come with you, Milan, first. I think I think we can all say, all three of us, West Brom and Fulham are probably done. It's just that last team. Who could it, who could it be? It's definitely Sheffield United. Sheffield United is a very, very, very good shot. I think they've got that, you know, second syndrome um, in the Premier League. You know, they've done, they did very, very well um, in, in the first season because they were caught teams off guard. No one really knew what was going on. And their fans, have, they, you know, they made their home forms really a bit of a fortress. So I think, um, I think Sheffield United is probably the easiest, easiest thing. I'm trying to look at the table. I'm just thinking who's, who, could be, who could be down there. But a lot of teams are doing But I thought Villa would be down there, if I'm honest. But I'm just not too sure. Burnley, I think, if I'm going to put it, I'm going to put it on Sheffield United because Burnley have got Premier League experience. But I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if Burnley don't do it either. They didn't invest much this season. Yeah, I've got to agree there. I think first and foremost, Sheffield United have had a horrible start to the season, you know, picking up only one point out of a possible eight games, which is horrific, really. You know, you're looking at a Derby-like season in the Premier League. And I'm also going to go with West Brom and Fulham to go down. Fulham are very, very inconsistent, very hit and miss. And again, not really getting results. Last last time they were in the Premier League, they didn't get any results. They were really, really poor. And I don't really see any change from that. With West Brom, it's slightly different because they have the potential to stay up. But I just think that with Burnley, again, you've got Sean Dyche in charge. You know that he is going to kind of mount a little bit of a charge at some point in the season to kind of get Burnley back up, up table really so yeah I, I'm I, I don't really think Slavin Bilic really has the resources at West Brom you know he was really really angry at the start of the season that they sold uh, Higazi their top centre-back for not that much in the grand scheme of things and very very late in the, the transfer window so he couldn't sign a replacement so, yeah, I'm going to go for Sheffield United, West Brom and Fulham. Yeah, I'm going to have to go for the same with yourself, Dan. But Burnley, like you said, Sean Dyer's been in the league many a times. So I think you know this kind of environment, this scenario suits him well. Sheffield United, I think they've been kind of figured out. There's, it's a very bang average team. Extremely defensive. Probably like more of a more of a modern Sean Dyche, I'd say. Sean Dyche plays 4-4-2, this guy plays a five-back. That's the only difference. I think Burnley's football is probably more attractive than theirs. The players, you're looking at them, even last season, I was looking at the players and you just start thinking, like, you've got players like Baldock and bloody Osborne and Lundstrom. Like, you know, what, what? it's just no one there really. I look at them and I'd be like, yeah, these, this this player is gonna like wow me today. You know, it's just an extremely defensive team. 
I can't. I, I'll be honest with you, I hope they will. Because it's just a brand of football that they kind of bring. It's just, it's not pleasant at all. Fulham, I've seen them play a few times just this season. Just the manner in which they can see the goals. Sometimes it's just very sloppy at the back. Um, I think they need a bit more investment into that team. I think they do have wealthy owners. Whether they go out in January, do kind of spend is obviously a different question. West Brom, I think Dim alluded, you know, the resources aren't there. I don't think they'll probably spend anything further. Got some good results, you know, maybe against Chelsea, the 3-3. It's going to be like a very squeaky bomb time. But normally there's about five, six teams in this kind of race, you know. This season, I think Leeds, Leeds will probably scrap it out. You know, I think they'll be Brighton. They'll be all right, you know, the quality that they've got. And, and like you said, like Villa, I've all this... Villa, you know, they've kind of gone clear now. Um, but, and Palace as well. But I think this one might be just probably the easiest relegation battle that we as fans might see. You know, as in, it's only like four teams. And also with Fulham as well, it's not as if they haven't spent money. I mean, they spent like 150 million two seasons ago. You look at that Jean-Michael Seri, they bought him as their record signing and he's nowhere to be seen right now. So. It's not as if the money isn't there for them. It's just they're just poor in every single department. They rely far too heavily on Mitrovic and they're a championship team, in my opinion. I don't even rate yeah, Mitrovic think, that much, to be honest, but he's there probably I their think only hope. QPR, like back in the day where they used to just pump, pump, pump mm. a lot of money and it wasn't really sustainable. Yeah. So I think I think they just need to be play a bit more defensive. I think that's what it is. Maybe play on the counter. I think they try and go to teams with that kind of full-out attack mentality. I think brained into their squad, into their style of football, where they can go do that and they will go pick up points against some teams. But again, you know, there's there's no in between. And how how long can you keep going losing four-one, you know, three-nil or whatever it is before morale drops? Confidence go. So I think Bielsa needs to work something, find something in the middle ground there as well. So moving on to the next question, I've got from Gotham95. What do Wolves have to do differently in order to push for Europa League qualification, seeing that there is an increased competition for that, for a top six spot? So I'll move on to Milan. I don't know what more there's what more else they actually can do. They've they've got a really good coach, they've got a really good squad. They've sold uh Jota, who's obviously one of the best players last season, who's doing amazingly for Liverpool. But I think it's just been a situation where obviously the top six, the big six clubs are gone are really good anyway. They they're kind of cemented in those positions. You've got Leicester who are doing very, very well. You kind of, you know, are part of it as well. And then you've got Wolves are probably the best of the rest. And it's not it's not even like they're a bad team. And the signings they make are really good as well. They sold Doherty, bought in Samedo. They sold uh, Jota. They, uh, Neto's come through. And they've bought that player from Porto as well. So it's not like they've, they've done anything wrong. I just think the other teams have been better than them. If there's one thing, then, you know, don't sell the best players. I think the system they've got, the players they've, they've bought in, if you're looking like for like player for player, you can't argue with some of their players being 
you know, some of the players are amazing. Martinho, Neves, they've got Adama Traore, Cody at the back, size, Foley, Patricio is a top keeper. They got Jimenez, who's an amazing goal scorer. Like Fordance, Jen's favorite player this season. Like, you know, you think some of these names are coming through, they're just doing really, really well. I just personally think that other teams are just doing slightly better than them. And then you can see it against Leicester when they played Leicester this season. Um, I think probably last season you were thinking, okay, they're probably, you know, similar on the same in terms of how good they are, they're probably the similar. But this season you can just show that Leicester just a bit more at it and a bit better than them. But uh, to be honest, if they if it's ain't one thing, I'd say just don't sell their players. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, there's nothing really more that they can do to kind of improve on what they were doing last season. I mean, if we're being picky, they should probably, you know, try not to drop like silly points here and there. You know, they lost against Leicester, which is arguably a, a fixture that they should be winning. So yeah, that's that's the only thing that really sticks out to mind to me. They've got really good players in their team. I know they sold Jota, as uh, Milan mentioned, but you know, you've got Pedence, you've got Neto, you've got Traore even, you've got Jimenez, you've even got like the likes of Neves, Moutinho. They've got real strength and depth. So, yeah, I, I don't really see much, much improvement from them to be, you know, needed really. Um, I think, yeah, they made some good points. I think this, the the teams that are probably in and around, they've got to start picking up points there. Consistency-wise, in terms of against the big teams, they're not really picking up any points. I think they need to play probably a different style of football formation. I think they need to go a bit more expansive. They've got players there, they've got a squad there. I think they maybe move into a five-back or, you know, three-back with two wing-backs going forward, change it up. Um, I think that is that kind of Wolves identity now and you know how long kind of will that work you'd probably see a phase where eventually they'll probably get rid of the manager and bring in someone else because they want a different identity now you know they're fed up with this three back the players are there players will probably leave but there's some quality players there once they do leave and move on yeah it's going to be really tough for them but yeah I think some maybe try a different formation go a bit more attacking and you know they've got to really try and pick up the key points around those teams in and around them I've got one more question from our dear friend Nikesh Parlo who's that uh, Nikesh Parlo on Instagram as well he asks who's been the signing of the Premier League season so far I'm going to go with James Rodriguez I'm, I'm going to go I'm going to go with Fafana at Leicester I think why is he 19? Coming to the league. Everyone was talking about Saliba. But Fafana's done amazing. He's, he's, he's not, it's not like he, he's even come in as a backup to Soyuncu and Evans. He's come in and he's played a lot of games. And he's not even looked... He's looked like he's, like he's played at Leicester for 10 years. He looks, he's looked amazing. I've, I've been really, really impressed with him. And his jumping is amazing. Oh, he's nuts. His jumping ability is crazy. I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Fafana. He's really, he's really not even surprised me. He's just, he's just done really, really well. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go with uh, Diogo Jota uh, simply because of the form he's been on 
in the past four games. He's been absolutely scintillating. But if I had to go for someone else, it would be Wesley Fofana. But Jota for me. Yeah, Jota's done really well. Another player that I thought would be backup, but he's 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 caused problems in terms of uh, Klopp changing his formation for him, replacing with Firmino sometimes. He's done. He's done. He's done really well too. And that leads me on to my last question, which is from myself to you guys. And it's more of a quickfire question. Uh, I just want a name and that's it. So if you had to replace Bobby Firmino at Liverpool with one player, who would it be? For me, it would be Erling Haaland. Is that why would you go for? Is it is it because of a new formation, new style of play, or do you, do you think Harlan's going to do the same job? I, I mean, obviously Harlan's not going to do the same job as Firmino right now. But is that because you want more of a goal scorer up front? I think he can do the same job. We've seen with his work rate. You know, he covers ground and he's quick for his size, and he scores goals. And that's pretty much why I'd want him. You know, he has everything Firmino has plus the goal-scoring elements. So, yeah, that's, that's why I want him. First name that comes to mind for me is Havertz, but obviously he's at Chelsea now, so we can't include him. But Havertz would have been really, really... He would have done a job. The thing is that Werner would have been there as well, but obviously he's gone to Chelsea as well, so... Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't particularly know. I think Jadon Sancho could do it. If there's one player, so yeah, I'll, play, oh, I'll play Salah up front. For Jota up front, there's a few players that can be put in. That system, the thing is, the Liverpool system, they're, they're so well engined, right? They're so well oiled machine that even if Sancho comes in as a centre forward, it's not like he's not going to do a good job because his pressing ability is just as good. Everybody's quite for Mane anyway. So I think Sancho, probably Sancho would do a job. He's yeah, a big name as well. I think what you just alluded to is quite key. Everybody's interchangeable there. So, you know, even if Sancho came in, Salah would go up front. So, yeah. I think mine would be the same as yourself, Dem. I'd probably put Haaland on there. It's just a, a machine. At the age, you know, the attributes that he has, the power, everything that he possesses, you know, he's just going to go strength to strength. I can't see him going Liverpool, though. I think he'll probably go end up at Rare or something great, you know. Not saying that Liverpool's not, but I think the money, the fame, you know, that, that striker position's been vacant or is, you know, is waiting for someone to take it there. But yeah, in that front three with the Liverpool trio, more him being in there, it'd be crazy. That's just problems. I think that just wraps it up there. Thank you for all your questions that are coming through on social media. If you don't know where they are, they, are on the, they will be on the website, on Twitter and Instagram. And if you have any more, any more questions? They don't have to be. You'd have to wait for a of a Q and A. Just send us any time, and we'll, we will definitely ask you in the next upcoming episodes. But we'll leave it there. Thank you, Jay, and thank you, Tim, again. Thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. Please share it with your friends and family, and don't forget to leave a review on the various podcast platforms. We'll see you next time.